there. Welcome back to Toxic Bliss, Surviving Narcissism with me, Awen Reese. In the last episode, we uncovered a few more of Mike's secrets and tried to settle into an uncomfortable but slightly better than homeless living arrangement. The whole mess was just crazy. I was feeling too many conflicting emotions to even try to explain it here all these years later. I feel a bit guilty even, talking about my experience and how negative it was when I think about what Tina must have been going through. Although she was just as much a victim of Mike's narcissism and she had chosen her reality, meaning she opted to believe the lies that he told her on a daily basis, some part of her must have known. She and I almost never talked, and I regret that. If we had had a heart-to-heart early on, everything might have been different. Who knows? And poor Eddie, he was just so stunned by it all that he walked around shaking his head constantly for months. But regardless of all the weird, insane drama going on, we had managed to coexist, and all four of us tried to present a united front for the children. Before we venture off into our Independence Day festivities, let's make a disclaimer. I am not a psychologist, psychiatrist, or mental health professional. If you need help, or if you're in a dangerous situation, please reach out. I urge you to call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Their advocates are available 24-7 at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. All calls are free and confidential. You can also reach them online at www.thehotline.org. It was the 4th of July. We had decided to have a cookout and maybe go to the beach later in the day. Once we had all gotten up and dressed, Mike and I headed out to the grocery store to buy some provisions for our barbecue. This would be a very common occurrence. No matter what was needed and from where, Mike and I were the ones that went out to get it. It was our way of having some alone time, but at the same time trying to be productive and helpful to the household in general. Before we got to the grocery store, though, we stopped to rent a storage unit large enough to empty the truck into. There wasn't much choice in the matter, because there wasn't room in the apartment for two households worth of furniture, and I had to return the rental truck the next day. $130 a month, two months up front. I was starting to have a sort of sick feeling in my stomach, as my bank account balance was dwindling rapidly. We secured the unit and got the keys and went shopping. We bought all of the usual fare for a 4th of July cookout and headed home. Mike carried in all the bags for me, which was sweet, but also necessary, because I was still recovering from that infection, and my back was not thrilled with sleeping on the floor. I was in a decent amount of pain still. I started doing some cooking, because it wasn't a picnic without deviled eggs, potato salad, and that weird orange jello fluff concoction. The guys would do all the grilling. Mike and Eddie took the truck over to the storage unit and unloaded it and then returned it to the local U-Haul place. Tina was home but hiding out upstairs, and that was fine. Maggie and I were cooking away and having a good time. By the time the guys got back, we were ready to fire up the grill. I asked Mike if Tina was going to join us and suggested he go talk to her. We don't bite, and it was going to be a great spread. She should come and eat. He said he'd go find her when the food was ready. Maggie was running around blowing bubbles and being a typical five-year-old, while the three of us, Mike, Eddie, and myself, tucked into our lunch. Tina was nowhere to be seen. I suggested that Mike make her a plate and bring it up to her, and he did, though he grumbled and made faces about it while doing so. Hey, I told him, it's a hundred degrees out here. She's nine months pregnant. Bring her a damn plate of food and do it with a smile on your face. 
It's your fault she's so upset anyway. Try to be nice. He definitely did not like being dressed down like that, especially in front of Eddie, but he knew he was still in trouble enough that he probably shouldn't argue. Later on that day, towards evening, Mike suggested that we go see the fireworks. Maggie was, of course, overjoyed. We drove to a little grassy lookout area and sat down on a blanket that I had brought and watched the show. Maggie loved it, of course, and I was just happy that there was a coolish breeze after the heat of the day. We got back home, and Mike had the idea that he and I should go down to the beach for a nighttime swim. I packed a bag with some towels and a change of clothes and tucked Maggie into bed. Eddie waved by and told us to have a good time. He was being such a good sport. Mike and I headed to the beach. I was excited. I loved swimming. I loved the water, and this was the first chance we had had to get down there since arriving in Florida. I mean, after all, what's the point of living on the shore if you don't get to go to the beach? The last time I had been to the ocean in Florida was about ten years before this. My dad was living in Palm Beach and had flown me down to spend a week with him over the summer break from school. The estate had a large section of private beach, and I was living the dream, except for the ocean part. Each morning, when I would head off down to check on the turtle egg piles and look for some cool shells, I'd see this beautiful iridescent blue balloon thing, and they were all over the beach. What were these? I ran toward one to pick it up, and I heard my dad screaming at me, Stop! Stop! No! Don't touch that! And he ran in my direction. Those were not balloons. Those were Portuguese man-o-war jellyfish and extremely dangerous. Thankfully, I stopped before I reached one. After that, the ocean didn't seem like such a great place to hang out in, and I spent all of my swimming hours in the pool instead. It was much safer, even though in the mornings when I would wake up, I'd have to send my dad out there first to pick out the various snakes, lizards, and other wildlife that had invaded overnight. But it was still safer than jellyfish and other bitey, stingy, slimy things that were in the ocean. But back to Mike. We got to the beach, and I spread out the same blanket that we had used for the fireworks. This blanket would now live in the trunk of the car for many such excursions, and it became our outside blanket. I still have this blanket, and it's on my bed as we speak. It's a lovely quilt that my mother had bought many years ago, and she let me keep it because I fell in love with it. That blanket has seen a lot of things, and yet it's still in one piece and just as lovely as the day she gave it to me. But back to the beach. We stripped off our shorts and t-shirts, my bathing suit was on underneath, don't worry, and ran straight into the water. Jellyfish be damned, I wasn't missing out on this. As we splashed around, laughing and playing, another fireworks show had begun only a mile or two up the beach. It was an amazing sight. The sky was perfectly clear that night, and the fireworks reflected like glitter on the water. Oh, this was just heavenly. He came up behind me in the water and wrapped his arms around me as we watched the brightly colored explosions lighting up the sky. He threw his arms up in the air and started yelling at the top of his lungs, I love this woman! May the gods strike me dead if I ever fail her or hurt her! My life for her! This is my most solemn vow! Now, <laughs> this was a scene from a movie. There I was, standing in the water, drenched from head to toe, beads of water dripping down my forehead and over my face, fireworks in the air, the soothing crash of the waves, and this man, this gorgeous, glorious man, proclaiming his undying love for me before the universe itself. I made a mental note to myself to imprint this scene in my memory for all time, and not much has come close to it since. 
He grabbed me again and kissed me hard and fast and spun us around in the water. We fell backwards and sank beneath the surface, but didn't break our kiss. We came up for air, literally, and laughed and smiled and all those things you do when you've experienced your bliss. The fireworks show had ended, and we went back to the blanket to sit down and dry off. I had brought a small candle, and I lit it and placed it in the sand. Amazingly, it didn't get blown out, and it was a perfect light source as we sat and talked. Our quiet, blissful moment was broken when two police officers approached us. "'What are you doing here? Can we see your ID?' I was stunned. Never in my life had I ever been approached by a police officer. I dug for my license and handed it to them as I apologized profusely for whatever I had done. He told me to relax. Everything's fine. They were just making sure we weren't sleeping on the beach. There had been a problem with homeless people sleeping on the beach lately, so they walked through every so often to check. Oh, well, that was fine, I guess. They asked what was in our bag, and I showed them. Just towels and some dry t-shirts for the ride home. I pointed to where the car was to show them that, yeah, we had a car and we weren't homeless vagrants, and they smiled and said have a good night and left. Mike hadn't said a word the whole time, nor had he produced his license. I asked why, and he said that, well, he was still on probation from the arrest in February, and he had hoped they would be satisfied with seeing my ID. Thankfully they were, though sitting on a beach surely isn't a violation of probation, is it? No, he said and I left it at that. I wondered why he'd be so worried, but I didn't want to ruin the moment by getting an answer I didn't want to hear. That could wait for another day. We stayed on the beach for hours and made it home just before sunrise. I managed to get a few hours of sleep before it was time to start the day. Mike was going to the airport today to pick up his daughter, who had been spending some time with Tina's family up north. This would be the first time I got to meet her, and I was excited. I hoped that she and Maggie would become fast friends. And now time for a short break, and then when we come back, we finally get to meet Bella. See you in a few. Welcome back. While Mike was gone, Eddie and I set about cleaning the living room and trying to organize the dreaded Walmart bag pile. It was a calm and productive afternoon, but that was about to change. I had expected Mike to walk in with a little girl, but instead he came through the door with a small, blonde-haired tornado. The whirling vortex ran upstairs, ran back down the stairs, ran into the kitchen. Whoa, it's so clean, it exclaimed, and raced back into the living room. Hi! It was only after the storm had calmed that I could see it was, indeed, a pretty little girl, the same age as Maggie. I introduced all of us and said we were so glad to finally meet her. She took Maggie by the hand and they raced upstairs to go play. Mike suggested that we take the girls to the pool. It was almost evening time, and the sun wouldn't be overhead. Eddie declined, as he had set up a job interview at a local hardware store. But I thought this was a great idea. Tina even decided to come along with us. Now, that was a nice change. I dug through our bags and found Maggie's bathing suit. We collected a pile of towels and headed out. The pool was just a short walk away from the apartment, and thankfully it wasn't really crowded. Bella, Mike's daughter, ran ahead, and he cautioned her to wait. He wanted to put her floaties on before she leapt into the water. Mike and I were both strong swimmers, and not in any doubt of our ability to keep the girls safe in the pool. Maggie was very shy around water. She liked being in it, but she had zero interest in swimming. She just wanted to relax in the shallow end and splash around and have fun. Unlike Bella, who had grown up swimming almost daily, 
this was still a somewhat new experience for Maggie. Once Bella was fitted with her floaties, Mike lifted her into the air, and she screamed as he tossed her into the water. Now, I assume that this was a normal thing, and it wasn't long before I realized that Bella couldn't actually swim. She was floundering around in the water, and I was about to jump in after her, but Mike stopped me. She's fine. She has to learn somehow. I side-eyed him as I kept an eye on her. She was above water and treading furiously, trying to get back to the side of the pool. She was yelling for him to jump in and save her, but it could have been playful, as is often the case with youngsters in the pool. But it also could have been a call of distress, and I didn't know her well enough yet to know the difference. I quickly got in the water and reached out for her. She grabbed my hand, and I pulled her over to the side. She laughed and said thank you and took off down the edge of the pool. I quickly called Maggie to me at the steps. I wanted her within reach before Mike thought about tossing her in as well. She came down the steps and was happy bouncing around in the shallow end, and I stayed within arm's reach of her. Mike was busy playing with Bella, tossing her into the water over and over, and they were both laughing and happy. Eventually, Mike came over to see Maggie and offered to take her for a swim around the pool. She latched onto his shoulders from behind, and he swam in a big circle. She loved it. When they got back to the steps where I was hanging out, he asked if she wanted to go again. I caught his eye and reminded him that she can't swim, so hold tight. He said, don't worry, I got her, and they took off. Maggie was smiling and delighted by this until Mike decided that this was a good time for a swim lesson. He dove under the water with her still solidly attached to him. I saw this happen, and I immediately dove under the water to get to them. I grabbed her and surfaced and took her back to the steps. She was coughing and sputtering and scared, and I was livid. Mike swam over to us, laughing as though this had just been hysterical. Maggie was crying now and very distressed. He went up to her and told her to stop crying. It's just fun. She's fine. No big deal. Come on. Want to go again? And she shook her head no, fighting back the urge to continue crying. Come on, he said. Don't be a big baby. You gotta learn somehow. And he reached for her. She jumped backwards to avoid his grasp and yelled, No! Mike, leave her be, I said. And he snapped. Fine! You don't want to learn to swim? Fine! You just sit on the steps the rest of your life. Afraid of a little water, you big baby? He yelled at her as he began power-splashing her in the face. Huge waves of water were crashing over her head, and it took me only a split second to reach her, but that was still far too long. She screamed, I screamed, Mike screamed, and Bella was just giggling while she watched this from the deck. I grabbed Maggie and climbed out of the pool. Tina was sitting on a lounge chair, and I looked at her, and she just shrugged. I picked up our things, and we headed back to the apartment, but Mike was yelling at us while we left, telling us not to be big, stupid babies, and I can't coddle Maggie her whole life. <sighs> we got back inside, and I wrapped Maggie in a towel, and I dried her off while holding her tightly and calming her down. "'I don't ever want to swim with him again, Mommy,' she yelled. I said, "'Don't worry, sweetheart, you never will. Really, don't worry.' "'I'm so sorry he did that. That was very wrong and very mean of him.' I was still in the throes of this when Eddie walked in, back from his job interview already. Side note, he did get the job. He took a look at the scene and saw his daughter in a right state and asked what had happened. I told him, and he said, that's it. He was going to beat the crap out of that jerk. I stopped him by grabbing his arm and said, don't do that. Let's just leave. He stopped heading for the door and grabbed Maggie instead. He took her upstairs to get her out of her bathing suit and into some dry clothes, and 
I changed quickly in the downstairs bathroom, my mind racing once again. Can we just leave? Where can we go? We could afford a few nights at a hotel and call my mom, I guess. When I came out of the bathroom, I saw Mike bursting in the front door. Oh my God, you're still here. Thank God, he said quickly. Where's Maggie? Upstairs with her father, I said, stressing the father part of that very strongly. As it happened, Eddie was just coming back down the stairs with Maggie in his arms at that exact moment. Mike met them at the bottom of the steps and reached for Maggie and pulled her into his arms. Oh, Maggie, oh, honey, oh, I'm so sorry, sweetheart. Can you ever forgive me? He sobbed. She sobbed. They hugged. I'm so sorry, honey. I love you so much. I will never scare you again. I promise. I will be your best protector, okay? And she nodded. Thank you, honey. Thank you, thank you, thank you, he said. Go on upstairs for a minute. I need to talk to your mommy, okay? He wiped her eyes and kissed her forehead, and she went up the steps. I was standing where I had been since he'd burst through the door, seemingly rooted in place. The look on my face was not warm and loving. It was suspicious, angry, and hesitant. He walked toward me slowly and started his next routine. Please, please believe me. I did not mean to do that. I don't know what came over me. I love you, and I love Maggie just as much. I understand if you want to leave. I expected you to be gone by the time I got here. But Tina kept talking to me and telling me to let you calm down before running after you. I got here as fast as I could. Please give me a chance to make it right. I love you so much. And I've been so good to Maggie so far, right? I haven't even gotten angry once. The tears were streaming down his face. But I was unmoved and stood stone-faced and resolute. Eddie intervened. He caved much faster than I did, and I think it's because he hadn't already seen this sort of behavior from Mike like I had. Hey, hey, buddy, let's just be calm. Maggie's okay. You didn't hurt her. Maybe just scared her a bit is all. It'll be okay. Just don't let it happen again, all right? I looked at Eddie in shock. I felt instantly betrayed. Now Maggie had forgiven Mike, and Eddie had too? What? I went out the back door without saying a word, because I needed to be alone for a moment. I burst into tears the second I closed the door. This was a deep, gasping cry, like a literal cry for air. I was terrified and shocked and angry, and there was no one coming to my or to Maggie's rescue. I felt in that moment that we needed to be rescued. This was not just a crazy situation now, but I was in fear, actual fear. Was I the crazy one? Tina had watched this firsthand and didn't even bat an eye. Eddie seemed to think it was just a mistake or a momentary lapse in reason. And Maggie was upstairs playing like nothing happened. Was I overreacting? It didn't feel like it. Eddie came outside to join me. Hey, are you okay? he asked. No! I yelled at him with such vitriol that he stopped dead in his tracks. Hey, 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 he said calmingly. He put a hand on my shoulder and I punched him in the gut for all I was worth. He laughed. I didn't hurt him, of course. Eddie was six five to my five feet of red-headed terror. He was very tough and he would often find amusement in me trying to punch him in the tummy and actually inflict pain because I couldn't as hard as I tried sometimes. Though I did indeed inflict pain, but it was upon myself instead of him. So don't worry, no husbands were harmed in the making of this podcast. I punched him again, just because, and he sat down beside me and put his arm around me. What's wrong? He asked in a very soft, gentle way. 
You weren't there, I said. You didn't see it happen. He didn't just splash her a bit. He pummeled her with water, and he was screaming at her with such hostility. I wanted to rip his face off right then and there. Mama Bear, he said, as he pulled me closer to him. Well, of course you did, and you got her away from him, right? You took her out of the situation and made sure she was okay, so to hell with him. You did the right thing. She's okay. I just talked to her and gave her a snack. She's watching a movie upstairs. But, Eddie, I started. It was so wrong. It was so scary. I can't imagine what Maggie was feeling. And he answered, Ah, oh, honey, I'm sure you can imagine what Maggie was feeling, and that's why you're out here crying about it right now instead of being inside murderizing him. I sort of smirked at him and said, You know, I can do both. <laughs> you could, yes, he laughed, but please don't. We just cleaned up the hole downstairs, and it'd be a shame to make a murder scene out of it. We both laughed. Before anything else was said, Mike opened the door and joined us. You know, it was so nice that I could get away by myself for a moment to think, wasn't it? Mike looked at Eddie and asked if he could talk to me for a moment. Eddie hugged me tightly and stood up to go inside, leaving me alone with the demon monster thing. That felt like betrayal number two. Oh, I was going to punch him so hard. Mike sat down where Eddie had been and asked if I was okay. I didn't say anything, but I shot him a murderous glare of doom. He was speaking, but I really wasn't ready to listen. I love you, blah, 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 blah. Sorry, blah, blah, blah. Never again, blah, blah, blah. I love you so much, blah, blah, blah. It went in one ear and out the other. I just wanted him to go away. The door opened once again. This time it was Tina. Oh, great. This should be good. She tugged on Mike's shirt sleeve and pushed him back inside, then she too sat down beside me. She told me a story about the first time they took Bella swimming at her parents' house years ago. Bella was scared to go in the water, so Mike just threw her in. He went right in behind her and grabbed her, of course. He wasn't going to let her drown. But he believed that the only way to conquer her fear of the water was to show her that she could jump in and still be safe. A few of her family members reacted pretty much the way I did, and there was a large family argument about it. But by the end of the day, Bella was playing in the water and having a great time, fearless and safe. She said that Mike was such a loving dad, and he'd never actually hurt a child on purpose. He was just frustrated and wanted Maggie to let him to teach her how to swim so she'd be safer in the pool. He didn't think splashing her would be such a horrible thing, and he really, really didn't mean to scare her so bad. She had put a hand on my back for a moment, and then stood and went back inside. I was the only one who thought this was actually a bad thing. I guess I'm the crazy one here. I must be overreacting, right? Maybe I'm PMSing, who knows. I couldn't shake the feeling, though, and I just wanted to grab Maggie and run. If I had known of a place to run to, I'm pretty sure I would have left. I sat outside for a little while, glad to finally actually be alone, and then I went back inside. Everyone was in the living room, talking and laughing and being normal. They had tucked into the leftovers from the cookout, and Mike handed me a plate of food. I said, thanks, and he said, look, I saved the last two deviled eggs for you. <laughs> Great. I took the plate and sat down on the couch. I felt like I was an outside observer here. They were having a great time, even Tina, and I couldn't even speak yet. Maggie and Bella finished up, and Mike even made them clear their plates before they went off to play. I should have been overjoyed by that, but... 
it was marred by everything that had just happened. This was the first time, outside of the millions of times that I had watched Wizard of Oz, that flying monkeys came into my world. Let me try to explain. Flying monkeys refer to people close to the narcissist who will try to convince anyone who speaks out against them that the narc is really a good person, and they've got it all wrong. I'll go much deeper into this later on, but for now, think of them as minions traipsing about the earth, spreading the good word of their evil overlord and taking down anyone who dares say otherwise. They can be quite fanatical in their endeavors, or they can be loving, caring friends and family. Either way, their goal is to convince you that you are wrong and the narc is right. When you have multiple people telling you that you're just overreacting, that you saw something wrong, you misinterpreted it, it's hard to not start thinking that maybe you were wrong and they were right. Certainly, as I was in a place of instability to begin with, their job was made that much easier. Although I didn't completely give in to their perspective on this, I did decide to go with the flow. It was possible that I was wrong here, but I didn't think I was, and I resolved to keep a much closer watch on things and not let Maggie out of my sight for a long, long time. <sighs> Whew, this episode was kind of heavy, and this was a very unpleasant memory to revisit, but it happened, and I'm not going to gloss over the ugly parts. As things are right now, though, decades later, Maggie is a happy, healthy, and well-adjusted adult. She's even studying psychology in college. Liam has been an amazing father to her, and life is good and stable and sane. We can all look back at these demons from the past, knowing that we overcame them and built a wonderful life. I might even talk Maggie into doing an episode with me. Now that would be fun. Anyway, I'll talk to you all next time when we look at the long, hot summer of doom in Florida. Thanks for listening, and take care. People ask me what my secret